this morning. Where to look. You notice everywhere in the world you go, you're looking somewhere. Your eyes are open, you're seeing something. It may be in a small room like this, or a big place out in the world looking at some great mountain or some ocean, or up an airplane looking down from 30,000 feet. We love having our eyesight. We get to look at a lot of different things in this world. And as I was preparing this lesson, where to look, it's amazing how much you learn from the Bible, isn't it? I planned this lesson and I started looking. I had four things I want to talk about, four major points to make that we'll make in our outline this morning. And as I started studying from the Bible, I noticed that all four of these words, look, that I will be using in our lesson this morning, there are four different Greek words that translate the word look. And they all have a different meaning. And in our four points of our lesson this morning, I will point out those four different verbs as they're used in the New Testament, and, and we'll see the distinctive use of each one of them. First of all, as children of God, we need to focus on our Savior. Look to Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. When you see this Greek word in verse number 2, look, the word means to focus one's eyes upon. You're looking at something, you turn your eyes away from anything else and focus specifically on what you're doing. Example, when the surgeon is working on you, doing surgery on you, aren't you glad he is looking specifically, focusing on the area that's to be worked on? He's not looking around the room to see what the, what the weather's like and all this kind of thing. He's not watching TV. He's focused on that particular little cell that he's looking for or that particular whatever that he's going after. So it's a very specific look. When a scientist looks into a microscope, he's not looking at something big. He's looking at something tiny and small. Focusing specifically on that one thing. Those of you who have been involved with athletics, how many times have you ever heard your coach say, keep your eye on the ball? I was watching a football game yesterday, and two or three times the pass would be thrown to the receiver. He's having his hands out there and it's coming right to him. And it hit him right in the hands, but he didn't catch it. Then ran a slow motion replay, and he, just before the ball got there, he turned his head and took his eye off the ball. We understand what it means to focus specifically on something. We, as children of God, need to be focusing our lives on Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the originator and completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, is now seated at the right hand of God. Christians, keep your lives and your hearts and your mind and your eyes focused on Jesus. You see, the more we focus our lives on Jesus and we read from His Word how He lived His life, then that helps us focus in on how we are to live our lives. We have His perfect example for us, daily living in this world for many years, showing us how to act, how to react, what things to do, what things not to do, what things to say, what things not to say. As we focus our minds and hearts on looking at Jesus, then that will help us in our lives every day 
to follow His perfect example. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 1, Be ye followers of Me, as I am a follower of Christ. Paul spoke to many people, wrote many words from the New Testament. He was writing God's Word. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Some of you have experienced times in your lives when you have your little children out and you're walking in the snow. And you step out and make a footprint and another one and another one and another. And they reach out and try to step in exactly the same spot following your steps. How wonderful that is. Now, there in Hebrews, check, turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 5. Hebrews 8, 5. The writer here is talking about the high priest of the Mosaic generation, but he said, Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to take to make the tabernacle. For see, said he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. See to it, Moses, that you follow the pattern. The high priests were given that same challenge. Follow the pattern of the law of Moses given from God's Word. Why? Because it's God's perfect Word. Moses was there in the mount when God wrote them, spoke those words out to him, the Ten Commandments. He heard and wrote down every word of the, one of those words. He wanted to follow that pattern. And the high priest continued doing that, following the exact precise pattern that they had. They did not make cha- They were not to make any changes in it. They were not to make any variations in it. They didn't say, well, I think what Moses meant there was this. Or maybe it's okay to do it this way. Or what's so wrong with doing it the way I want to do it? You've noticed that in Christianity today, there are thousands upon different kinds of Christians, different names. Many people have taken it upon themselves to say, I can make God's Word better than what it was. I don't mean to be unkind. But that is the epitome of blasphemy, is it not? One of the commandments, the fourth of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He's talking about calling God by name. But also he's talking about when you take God's Word and twist it and make it something, say that God did not intend it to say, you have violated the will of God. We need to look to Jesus in our lives. The more you study the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the more you will see how to live your life You see, He lived a life in perfection. There's the greatest picture we could ever have. You and I can't be perfect. But daily, as we live our lives, reading and studying the Word of God and praying to God for strength, we will focus on living like Jesus lived. It's not going to be long today or tomorrow or the next day that you're going to face a problem or a challenge or a dilemma or a question, and you don't know what the answer might be. When you're faced with something like this, Remember those four letters, WWJD? What would Jesus do? If I don't know what to do in a situation, I need to stop a moment and think, what if Jesus were standing right here beside me right now? How would He handle this situation? And I can probably tell you how He'd handle it. And then I need to say, Bill, you need to handle it that way also. You're focused upon Jesus 
what he would say, what he would think, what he would do. When you're getting ready to go somewhere, if Jesus were with you, would you be going there? If you were getting ready to engage in some activity that you're not sure about, would you go with if you knew that Jesus was standing right there beside you? When you're watching a television program or a movie, would Jesus be watching that same television program or movie? Hanging out with that group of people? When you can answer that question, what Jesus would do, then you know right now what you should do. In this world that's full of sin and corruption and violence and arrogance and ugly language, we need to focus on Jesus in our lives. You know, spiritually, He is beside us every step of the way. We sing that song, I walk with a Savior each step of the way. Bring that down to a physical representation. What if Jesus were right here by my side right now? Would I be saying, doing, and thinking the things I'm saying, thinking, and doing right now? Or would I do what He would want to do? And you see, you can draw the line pretty quickly, can't you? As to what is wrong and what is not wrong. You can establish the answer to any temptation that Satan will ever guess against you. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, the writer said, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So when I follow the will of Jesus, I'm not going to be sinning all the time. I'm not going to be making mistakes. I'm walking with Jesus beside me all the way. I will follow His pattern in my life of the way He loved people, the way He treated people, His kindness, His compassion, His doing good. You know, sometimes we sing that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When I can focus on what Jesus said and did and acted, that's what I want to do in my life. So I will look to Jesus. I will focus my life intently on Him, just as that surgeon is focusing specifically. Point number two in our lesson is servants of God. We need to look for opportunities to help others. Helping others. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse number 4. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 4. A very familiar verse to you. Paul said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And he's not talking about being nosy or a busybody here. That word watch, look therefore, means to watch out for, to notice, to see with your eyes and consider what's going on. Look over in chapter 3, verse number 17. 3.17. Brethren, be ye followers together with me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us as an example. When we see Jesus in our lives, and we try to apply those things in our life, we're going to look to others. How can I do that? Very early in the Sermon on the Mount, 
which begins in Matthew chapter 5. In verse number 14, Jesus said to those people who were listening to him, my 5.14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men take a candle and put it on a bushel, under a bushel, cover it up, but on a light stick, so that it shines out to all the world so it can be seen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and pat you on the back. No, glorify your Father which is in heaven. I don't do good works to be seen of men. I do good works to glorify my Father in heaven who has shown me the ultimate of good works in His life while He was here on earth. And when I come to a fuller appreciation of that, then that's the way I want to live my life. You know, our kids in vacation Bible school, this little light of mine went all around the neighborhood. I'm going to let it shine. Us old folks need to be singing that same song, don't we? The world needs every one of our Christian lights shining everywhere we go. In our homes, in the community, on the job, in the marketplace, wherever we go, are our lights shining Looking to others and what we can do. Look for opportunities to help others, to serve others, to pray for others, to do good deeds. Say words that will encourage and edify and build up. You see, those kind of positive things are contagious in this negatively based world, aren't they? Most people don't care about anything but themselves. So they're not going to say much to encourage you or build you up or help you, are they? They're all so self-centered. The world needs folks like you and me. And sometimes our little Christian lights are pretty little. But they're still visible. And they're still effective. And we need to keep making sure that they're shining for other people to see them. Use our lights to the very best of our abilities. Look for opportunities where we can be helpful to encourage other people. You see, there's not a person in this room who has not been strengthened and built up and encouraged by people in your lives. Is, not, is that not the case? You know it is. How could you have become who you are without your parents doing the good things they did for you? And your siblings helping you and your relatives helping you and older folks helping you and doing things and showing you how to do things and to get better at them. You gained strength and energy and courage from all of those things. They were letting their light shine for you, weren't they? We as Christians need to take that same challenge in our lives today. Yes, inside the church building. Yes, inside our homes. But in our schools. In our factories. In our world. The world needs that so desperately today. It's not seeing many Christian lights shining, is it? And you see where the world is headed because of that. Let us accept the challenge, difficult as it is, in this society today. To be doing the things that we need to do to help others. And sometimes we get the attitude of, well, church wants me to do this, the family wants me to do this, somebody wants me to do this, all this stuff I've got to do. When we take upon it the idea of letting our light shine, we don't say, what do you want me to do? You say, what else can I do? Are there other available things for me to help grow the church? My own spiritual life, my families, and those around me? You see, we all can be Strengthening one another in that. How wonderful that is. And as children of God, we need to examine our own selves frequently. Look to you. Anybody ever look in the mirror? Quite frequently, don't you? Turn with me to Second John chapter 1, verse number 8. Second John 
chapter 1, verse number 8. John said, look to yourselves that we may not lose those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Look to yourself. The Greek word there, look, means to pay attention to, to watch out for yourself, to discern mentally. Make sure that your brain is focusing on the light of God, not on the light of the world. I need to look at myself. Yes, I look at myself when I shave, when I brush my teeth, when I fix my hair. That's part of it. But I need some time every day looking into my mind and my heart and my spirit. What do I see there? Do I see negligence? Not caring? Do I see selfishness? Do I see focus on self and no one else? then I need to look more deeply, don't I? I need to recognize as I look into myself that I'm special. Not because of who I am, but because of what I am. I am a child of God. And I want that light of God shining in my life every day. I have value. I have worth. I am God's precious possession. And as we get older and more frail and feeble... There are a lot of things we can't do that we used to do. I understand that. That's exactly where I am right now. But I'm still here. I can still do something. And so I need to look to myself to strengthen my situation as a child of God. God has given me this light. I can cover it up. I can blow it out. And again, it may just be a little bitty light. But I can still let it shine. Everywhere I go, in my thoughts, in my words, in my deeds. I need to focus myself every day with living how God wants me to do and live my life. Therefore, I will spend time every day consciously reading and studying and applying God's Word to my everyday life. Think about this for a moment. How many hours in a week? 24 hours in a day times 7, that's 168 hours in a week. If you took 1% of your time in a week reading the Word of God, just 1%, you still got 99 more, just 1%, you would have read the Word of God an hour and 42 minutes. Hmm. Okay, I ought to be a daily Bible reader today. Okay, that says, okay, got that done. That's not helping us very much, is it? When we start focusing on helping ourselves. You see, there's more time I spend in this book, the less time I have to spend in Satan's book. It's that simple. And I will take these things that I read in this book and study them and learn them and make use of them practically in a godly way. I'm built up by it. I'm encouraged by it. I'm brought close to God by it. And I help others by doing exactly the same thing. And let us not measure ourselves by others. Well, so-and-so can do it so much better than I can. And I can't do what he or she can do. That's exactly right. That's why we're all different. But we all have talents. Some of us only have one. But some have five or ten. 
God has given us the resources that He knows that we can use, and He provides for us the opportunity to do that. Our challenge is to focus on that. Bill, what else can I do with the talents that God has given me to make this world a better place? To make my life better and hopefully encourage other people to do the same thing. And I will quit measuring myself by others. I will measure myself by God's standard for my life. What can I do in my life to improve it? What can I make it better? How can I make full use of my talents? You see, the ten-talent man said, Man, I got it made. I got ten talents. That was a vast, a vast amount of wealth in the first century. He went out and worked and made ten more. The five-talent man did the same. One talent said, Poor little old me, I can't do anything. So I'll dig a hole in the ground and put the money there and so nobody can steal it. He was not approved by the Lord, was he? Because he wasn't even looking to himself. I can surely do something with this. And so each one of us can do in our lives. Never be content with what you've accomplished. There's always room for more. Remember the great explorers of our nation? Lewis's Clark expedition across the nation took several years. They had no idea what was beyond the next mountain or the next river. But they kept going. They wanted to find. People who are engineers in aeronautics and aviation, look at all the things they found over the past years because they're willing to go out and make full use of the talents that they had. Discard the attitude in your life, well, I've already been there, done that. I don't need to do anything else. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, again, early in the Sermon on the Mount, you know the verse. 6.33 of Matthew. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And again, that's a present tense verb in the Greek language. Keep on seeking first the kingdom of God. And sometimes we get that phrase, keep on keeping on. That's what we need to do. When we look to ourselves, let's quit being negative about what we can't do and what we don't think we can do. Let's be willing to accept the challenge of life of what we can do. And Satan's going to cast a lot of challenges on us. What an opportunity that is to show Satan and the world that God's way still works if I'm willing to allow myself to be used in doing that. Every morning when you get up, look into your heart before you start the day and state to yourself, I'm one day nearer to heaven Today than I was yesterday. Can you really say heaven? I'm one day near eternity for sure. I want to live today so that if I live until tomorrow, I can say I am a day nearer to heaven than I was yesterday. And then at the end of the day, stop and look back and reflect upon your day. What have I done today to help honor and glorify God in my life? Am I nearer than I was when I started out this morning? If I'm not, there's a challenge for me for the day for tomorrow, isn't it? Fourth point I want to make that this morning. As children of God, we need to think about heaven every day. I heard an old tall, skinny, ugly preacher say that a few times, haven't you? Look to eternity. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. The Greek word here for look, a different one than all the other ones we've used, 
to look forward to, to anticipate. You've been working hard for the last six or eight months, and next week's going to be a vacation week. You're looking forward to it, aren't you? You're anticipating it. You've got plans for it. The little Chris, little kid on Christmas Eve, looking forward to tonight. I'm going to go to bed tomorrow. I'm going to see what Santa Claus brought me. I'm anticipating. I'm looking forward to it. We all have wonderful positive expectations in our looking lives. And that's what it's supposed to be about. To look forward with anticipation. Look forward to heaven. Verse number 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You don't know when the Lord's coming again. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements with fervent heat. They shall melt. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. That promise to me is that there will be a time when our entire solar system will be gone. No trace of it, no evidence of it anywhere. There will be no more physical stuff. Just like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. He spoke into existence from nothing and brought all these physical things here. When the Lord comes again, the opposite is going to take place. All of it will be gone. God brought this physical existence into existence and He will remove this physical existence from existence when He comes again. Whenever that is, we do not know. Now, with that in mind, look at verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, everything physical, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, that means way of living and godliness, how should you live your life in view of that fact? He asked the question, how can I answer that question? Peter asked you a question here. Look in verse number 12. Here's how to answer that question. Looking forward to, that's with eagerness and anticipation. And hasting unto, that means earnestly desiring. I can't wait for next week's payday to get here. The boss says part must be a promotion. I can't wait for that day to come. Kids in high school, I can't wait for graduation day. We look forward to anticipation. Looking forward and hasting unto it. Hurry up and get here. I need that same attitude toward my eternity, don't I? And every day I need to think about that. With that in mind, look in the first part of verse number verse number twelve. He says, "Looking for and hastening to the when the heavens shall be dissolved and the earth shall be shall be melted with a fervent heat." Look in verse number thirteen. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens. And a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's something to look forward to, isn't there? Now keep your finger there and turn over a few pages to the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Keep your fingers there when Peter were coming back. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1, the next to the last chapter in the Bible. The Apostle John has the privilege of getting an eyesight of heaven. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That's what we talked about Peter there, wasn't it? And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, look, the tabernacle of God is with men. He shall dwell with them, and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And it gets better. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. They no longer exist. Why would anyone not want to be with God in His eternal perfect home? With that in mind, turn back to Second Peter chapter 3. And look at verse number 14. 2 Peter 3.14 where you were. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things as we've just read about, be diligent that ye be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. What's he saying here, Peter? He says, I will diligently live my life to make sure that everything I do is drawing me nearer to heaven. I've got a picture now of what heaven must be. And I want to be there. I want to be in the presence of God and the saints of all the ages. And so, as a result of that, I will do anything and everything within my power to dedicate my life for Christ right now so that I can know that I can live with Him forever. You know, sometimes we sing that song, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. Another song says, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Another song says, Don't you want to go to that land? As we've talked today about where to look, let us leave here today more focused on looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, now seated at the right hand of God. That's where I want to be forever, don't you? But I must be a child of God before I can go to heaven. If you're not yet a child of God, Acting on your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His deity. Be baptized in water for the purpose of washing those sins away. Raise that water to walk in newness of life, a child of God, on your way to heaven. Or maybe you've done those things in times past, but you've wanted away. Or in brother or sister, come back home today, repenting those sins, confessing them. We'll pray with you to be forgiven that once again you may be on the road to heaven. If may assist you in doing that, It'll be known by coming to the front as together we stand and sing the song.